0: Luke chapter number 4, and uh, I appreciate you being in the Lord's house today. Turn me down just a little bit there, Nick. I feel like I'm in a box. (laughs) We ain't supposed to be in the box, are we? Supposed to be out of the box. Luke chapter number 4 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 30. Luke chapter number 4, we'll begin in verse number 30. The Word of God says, But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Now, that's speaking of the Lord. It says, And came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him, and hurt him not. And they were all amazed, and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Let's look at verse 33. And I want you to let this soak in, just the truth of this verse. The Bible says, And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the time that you've given us this morning. I pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted and magnified in the service this morning. Help us to see Him and Him alone. I pray, Father, You'd hide me behind the shadow of Your cross. Father, that I'd not say anything You wouldn't have me to say, but that I'd not cower away from saying all that would bring glory to Your Son. Lord, You know the hearts of those that are here. We do not. But Father, You know the hearts of those that are here, and You knew who would be here. I pray that You'd speak to each heart according to Your will. Lord, if there's any amongst us that are without Christ, helpless and hopeless, alienated from the family and love of God, I pray that this morning, Lord, you'd show them their need of Calvary, that through your precious cross they'd come to know your Son. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for loving us. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter number 4 is a chapter in the Word of God that is filled with spiritual warfare. If you read the very beginning of Luke chapter number 4, in fact, you'll find the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. On three separate occasions, as he was in the wilderness, the devil came and tempted the Son of God. Now, let me say, that ought to teach us something about the devil. Don't you think so? Uh, I I think sometimes we think of uh, devils as these brute and ignorant beings and creatures. But do you know that the devil, meaning Satan, he was more subtle than any beast of the field. Is what the book of Genesis chapter 3 says, that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Uh, I promise you that devils know more doctrine than the average seminary student. And when he came to the Lord, he knew what he was getting into, but still he tried. Ought not that to warn us about our spiritual life, that the devil surely will come knocking in our lives to try to tempt us and to try to get us to do wrong. I mean, hey, if he'd tempt the Son of God, you better believe he'll tempt you and I. And then the Bible says that he departed from Him for a season. Now that ought to tell us something too. He's persistent if he came back again to tempt the Son of God, then you better believe you may get victory today, you may get victory tomorrow, but mark her down. Don't let your guard down, because there will come a time when you'll be in a spiritual battle again. And so at the beginning of chapter 4, you have the temptation of Christ. In the middle of chapter 4, you have the narrative that we've read this morning. And then shortly after this, you find that those that were possessed of devils, and by the way, that's the Bible word. Uh, Sometimes in society, we call them demons. I don't fuss or fight with folks over that. But a lot of times, you'll hear me call them devils. I'm aware that there is the devil. I'm aware of that. But the Bible calls all unclean spirits devils. So sometimes you'll hear me use that term. I'm not necessarily speaking about the devil, but I'm speaking about a devil. Those that were possessed of unclean devils were following after Christ and crying aloud and uh, trying to get ahead of the, the plan and purpose of God and cause problems in His ministry. So what you have in Luke chapter 4 is a chapter full of spiritual warfare. But it's very interesting to me... Uh, that in this passage that we've read, as I read it the other day, I was just studying and reading, and verse number 33 jumped out in my face and in my mind in an explicit way. Because I've read this probably a hundred times, maybe 500, maybe a thousand times, I don't know. But I've never noticed that in Luke chapter 4, the demoniac that is healed is a man that is in the synagogue. You know, sometimes we have this notion uh, that all church folks are good folks and all bar folks are bad folks, and if a man goes to church, that makes a man a good person. Uh, That's a misnomer. Uh, That's what I call funny paper theology. Uh, This idea that what makes a man good is the fact that he goes to church. Can I say to you that there's lots of folks that go to church day in and day out, but they're as lost as a ball in high weeds. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Church cannot make you something other than what you are. If you're a lost person, church can't make you anything more. If you're a saved person, church can't make you anything less or anything more. Who and what we are in light of God and eternity is determined by our, by our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, oh, preacher, are you against church? Well, no, I wouldn't be here if I was against church, amen? I'd be up at the lake or something if I was against church. I'd be fishing. I'm not against church. I believe in church. I believe church is needful in the life of every believer. Uh, But by the same token, having your name on a church roll does not affect eternity, one iota. The question is, where do you stand with a holy God, and where do you stand with His Son, Jesus Christ? Synagogues were sort of like a church in this day. In fact, uh, you don't really have a provision for synagogues in the Old Testament. Synagogues were something that sort of uh, uh, developed in the time between the Old and the New Testament, and uh, they were centers of teaching and centers of worship, and places uh, for those that could not be in Jerusalem on every Sabbath day or at every feast day, a place that they could go and get instruction. So it was sort of like the local church. Now, I'm, I'm using that language loosely. If you're a Bible student, you probably are going to say, Oh, but preacher, what about? Well, you just take your whatabouts and keep them to yourself. I understand that a synagogue and a church are a little bit different. But in Christ's day, this was the place where the Word of God was taught. This was the place where those that claimed to know God would meet, speak of the things of God, speak of the Lord, and learn about Him. And so let me preach to you for a few moments this morning on this thought. In Luke chapter 4, we see a devil in the church. I want you to notice a few things with me. Now, this, this simple fact is astounding to me. Of all the places for the Lord to heal somebody, of all the places to find a demon-possessed man, who would have ever thought it would have been the synagogue? But let me say this today, I think part of the problem with many of our churches is they're chock, uh slap full of lost folks. People that do not know the Lord. Now, I'm not here, listen to me, if you know that you're saved this morning, I'm not here to try to convince you otherwise. But there could be one in this midst that thinks that because they're within these church walls or because they own a Bible or because they were baptized or because they think they're a pretty good person, that they think that squares them with God. If that's you this morning, then listen to me, friend. You're the one that I'm speaking to. Because you have need of more than just your name on a church roll. You have need of more than just a Bible in your hand. You have need of more uh, than just a baptism certificate. You, my friend, Christ said to you, ye must. Be born again And that and that alone can make the difference It's not to say that the things that come After salvation are not important But if you're never saved Then the things that come after salvation Are of no consequence to you I know lots of folks that want to sit and argue and fuss about all sorts of church politics and specifics and everything. They're like the woman at the well. You remember the woman by Jacob's well, don't you, in John chapter number 4? Christ came and, and began to speak to her said, Give me to drink, I'm thirsty. She said, Now, being a Jew, speakest to me, which are a Samaritan. said, You're a Jew. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. He said, If you knew who it was that speaks to you uh, and the gift of God, you would have asked of me, and I would have given you living water that you'd never thirst again. And uh, she didn't understand at first. She said, well, give me this water so I don't have to come here to draw water from the well again. He said, no, 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 you're misunderstanding me. I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about spiritual water. And then she wanted to get in a debate. Uh, You know, that's always where it goes, usually. Want a debate. Can I give a word of advice to, to anybody that wants to win people to the Lord this morning? Don't get in a theological conversation with someone that's spiritually dead. Listen, you can argue about the mode and form and manner of baptism all you want. That's not what they need. You you can argue about whether to be a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Methodist or to drive Ford or Chevy or Oldsmobile, whatever you want to do. That won't make a difference. The only thing that can make a difference in the life of a lost individual is to come uh, to, to a serious and genuine knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can make the difference. And so we find that what did the Lord do? She said this. She wanted to debate, you know. And she said, well, our fathers worship here in this mountain. And your fathers say that we ought to worship in Jerusalem. What say ye? You know what he said? He said, worship is of the Jews. Ye know not what ye worship. You know what he said? He said, you don't even know God and you're wanting to argue about worshiping. You don't even know God, and you want to argue about worshiping. He said, I promise you the time is coming when we'll neither worship here or in that mountain, uh, but the God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. You know what he said? You're spiritually dead. So any any kind of theological debate is completely out of your sphere and out of your realm. It's of no concern to you. In the same way, folks always want to debate religion. And uh, let me say this, that church in and of itself doesn't bother a lost person. In fact, we see in this passage proof that church in and of itself doesn't bother a lost person. Notice a few things that this devil was comfortable And when I speak of the devil, I'm speaking specifically of that unclean spirit. I'm glad I'm not speaking of that man. Because when we come to the end of this, ch- of this story, uh, the Bible teaches us that the Lord casts out the unclean spirit and He saves the man. I'm glad if you're here today, you don't have to die in your sins. God loves you. God cares about you. God loved you enough to die for you. He wants to save you and change your life and create you afresh and anew. And He can do for you what He did for that. That man. But we see some things that this unclean spirit was comfortable with. And I just jotted them down It's just a little introduction. I want you to notice, first off, that this spirit was comfortable with dedicated rituals. Look what it says, in fact, in this passage, verse 31. The Bible says uh, that the Lord came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. In other words, this man was in the temple on a Sabbath or in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, and was there distinctly because it was a Sabbath day. Now, listen, I don't mean any of this ugly. I, I, I'm glad I'm not preaching this on Christmas or Easter. Amen. But let me say this: that just the ritualism of getting up and going to the church house that doesn't bother bother the devil. It doesn't bother him. I know it seems sometimes like the devil's always fighting you tooth and nail to get to church. And that's certainly true. If you come and if you're going to hear the Word of God and if you're going to listen and get help from it, then the devil does not want you to come. But listen to me, if you're going to come and uh, click your mind off and sit there because it's just a matter of form and it's a matter of duty, you might be here because somebody wants you to be here. You might be here because somebody begged you to be here, but you have no interest in the things of God. That doesn't bother the devil one bit. In fact, one of the chief ways that the devil sends people to hell is by way of church pew. There's lots of folks in this world that do not know the Lord, but through sitting in a church pew, they have a smooth but somewhat seared conscience to the things of God, and they're going to ride that path to hell all the way on a padded church pew. Dedicated ritual doesn't bother the devil. In fact, one of the chief means of deception for him is through false religions that, that are, are built around dedicated rituals. Mankind loves rituals. You know how that is. I, I mean, listen, if I come to you, it doesn't matter. If, I, if I'm over here and, and, and I'm talking to Brother Al, and me and him are whispering and we're talking, and you come over and say, what are you talking about? And we say, shh, 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 nothing. Son, you'll about beat us half to death trying to figure out what we're saying. You know why? Nobody likes to be kept out of something. And mankind loves rituals because they feel like they're a part of something. All over this city, you could go to lodges and groups and buildings and clubs where they've got all the rituals that you could ask for. I mean, son, they'll, make, they'll blindfold you. They'll make you walk this way, that way, with a candle sticking out of your nose, uh, making you swear this and recite that and take this oath and take that oath. That doesn't bother the devil. Dedicated rituals don't bother the devil. But then I want you to notice, now listen carefully, Doctrinal revelation didn't bother the devil. Now, we see that there's a difference. And I'm going to mention it here in a moment between the way Christ taught and the way those in the synagogue taught. But can I give you a picture of what the synagogue was like? Uh, we sort of think of it like our current church building. Now, I, I, and you'll be glad to hear this, but I'm the only preacher today. Amen. <laughs> You'll be glad to hear that. But typically in the synagogue, the reason that the Bible would say Christ would go and teach, or sometimes later on, Paul would go into the synagogues and teach, is because it would be basically a big open area where various teachers would go, and they would find them a group of people and begin to teach and expound. And you could go from this teacher to that teacher to this teacher to that teacher. The synagogue was a place that was teeming with teaching. And that didn't bother that man whatsoever. Did you know that just sheer doctrinal facts don't bother the devil? In fact, the book of James says this, I believe as there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. The devil quote more Scripture to you, my friend, than you could memorize in a hundred lifetimes. And just doctrinal fact don't, don't bother the devil. He doesn't mind if you get religiously educated, is what I'm saying. So, uh, listen, some, uh, a lot of people that are on their way to hell, they know more Bible than, than you could shake a stick at. I have people every once in a while come to me, they'll talk to me about prison ministry and uh, wanting to go in and start a Bible study in prison. And, and sometimes they'll ask me, you oh, know, preacher, what do you think about that? And I always tell them this, if you're going to go, you better be sure you're ready. Because when you go into a prison, you're literally dealing with a group of men that have unlimited free time. And they will take every correspondence course, every internet class, every uh, book, every Bible. Uh, They know more Bible than you could ever imagine in your lifetime. Their doctrine is so hodgepodge, Heinz 57, from this way and that way that they really don't know what they believe, but they do know what you believe. And they'll take and turn you around and tie you in a knot and have you looking like a pretzel before you even know you're in the building. Because they know truth. They know doctrine. The truth in and of itself, that don't bother the devil. But I want you to notice, not only was this devil comfortable with dedicated religions and doctrinal revelation, but you know why he was really comfortable? Because he is comfortable with dead religion. You know what it was that that smoked that devil out? You know what it was uh, that set the brush on fire and had him scurrying away? Because the Bible says that when Christ taught, His Word was with power. With authority and with power. The devil loves dead religion because dead religion equals dead individuals. It doesn't bother him. Listen, if He can get you in somewhere where the preacher won't preach, where the choir won't sing, where you get up and get a little lesson at and a little sermonette, where sin is never called by name, where the Spirit of God never has liberty to move and to work, where nobody takes a hard line against anything. Listen to me. We live in a day of so many weak-wristed, weak-minded, spineless preachers in churches, and that's what is ruining our society. Nobody wants to stand for anything. Nobody wants to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. The Bible says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. See, that's when it starts bothering folks. I've seen them, and I don't say this by way of of, of puffing myself up or by way of ego, but I've seen them get up and leave because they couldn't handle it. I've seen them get up and leave because they just couldn't handle it anymore. The Spirit of God was working and wooing and moving and stirring, and all of a sudden, friend, they'd walked into something real. And they weren't expecting that when they came into church. They was expecting to come in and see the pretty flowers on the wall and shake a few hands, hear a few boring songs, listen to a sermon that didn't stir them, that didn't move them. And then the Word of God begins to move and to work and to plow in their soul. They weren't expecting that. That's how it was that day for this man. He came into the synagogue to sit and listen to a sermon. And instead, he ran face to face with the Son of God. Something stirred and moved inside him. So let's notice a few things about him. I want you to notice, first off, the doctrine of Satan. Now, the Bible talks about doctrines of devils, and that's not what I mean this morning. But what I mean is this. As we read in verse number 34, we find a few things that this devil, this spirit that was within him, believed. And I want to say that these are three things that you can know and have an intellectual understanding of and still not know the Lord. Look at verse number 34 with me. The Bible says, this is the spirit of the unclean man speaking, saying, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Let me say first off that this devil knew his person. He knew who he was. In fact, you'll find this to be true. Every time that Christ entered into the presence of a man or a woman with an unclean spirit, immediately those unclean spirits acknowledged who He was. They knew. In fact, uh, and I mentioned this the other day from the pulpit, but you remember in the book of Acts when the seven sons of Siva, those vagabond Jews, uh, they were going to cast out uh, that demon-possessed man, those devils out of them. and they came to him and they said this, and it sounded real good. I mean, it, it sounded it had three points in a poem and a good introduction and a good, clo- you know, uh, a good good invitation, and they said, "We adjure thee by Jesus, whom Paul preaches." And that they and man, I can just see him, you know, I can see him going, We adore thee by Jesus whom Paul preached, you know, or waiting. <laughs> and that devil possessed man looked at them and said, This, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who art thou? Let me tell you something, devils know the name of Jesus. They know who he is. It is not. I want you to listen very carefully to this next statement. I mean, if you're, going, if you're going to turn around and say something bad about me, wait a second to do it, because I want you to get this. It's not enough to have an intellectual comprehension of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be an effectual dependence upon that person. You know where the, what the majority of false professions come from? People that that think faith is just a matter of acknowledging historical events and facts. Oh, yes, I believe Jesus lived. I believe He died. I even believe that He's the Son of God. Hey, that devil said this here in a moment. The devil said that. That's not enough. What do you think it means when the Bible says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? It means this, quit believing on yourself. Quit trusting in yourself. Quit leaning under your own way and your own understanding. See that His way, the the road of Calvary, the finished work of Christ on the cross is the only means of salvation and depend wholly upon it. He knew His person. Notice the next thing that He says. He says, who thou art. Now, you say, well, duh, He knows who He is. I don't think that's what the devil was saying. I think what He was saying was this. You're Jesus of Nazareth and I know who that is. In other words, I've heard about the things that you've been doing. I've heard about your ministry. Let me say that he knew his person, but he knew his power. He understood. In fact, he goes on to say here in a minute, uh, that art thou come to destroy us. You see, he knew that this Jesus fella, he was the Son of God and he had power and authority. He believed it was real. That devil-possessed man believed it was real. If no one in that synagogue knew the capacity of the power of the Son of God, that devil-possessed man did. Let me say that it's not enough just to believe God's capable of changing you. Now, of course you need to believe God's capable of changing you. You won't come to the Lord unless you believe He's capable of it. But it's not enough simply to believe that He is. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people, they believe Jesus is the Son of God, and they believe that He could save them. They just won't come to Him. He said, any that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you won't come to Him, He can't save you. He can't help you. You've got to go to Him. You say, how do I do that? In your heart of hearts, you lean unto Him. You call upon Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not enough just to believe He's capable. And you know how that we believe that? We don't believe that by saying, oh, I know Jesus can save me. We say this, I know God can do all things. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe God can do all things? Can He save your children? Can He save your grandchildren? Can He save your loved ones? What about you? What about you, ma'am? What about you, sir? Can God save you? I believe He can. I believe He can. But it's one thing to say He can. It's another thing to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew His power. But then notice this. He says, the Holy One of God. That's very distinct language. You know what He's literally saying? He is saying, you or the Messiah. He is acknowledging Him as the Messiah, the promised one that was to come to redeem and to revive the nation of Israel. You know what He recognizes? He knew His person, He knew His power, but He knew His plan. He said, I know who you are. You're sent from God. You're here to do a work. And you're the one that God has prophesied about all through the Old Testament. You're the Son of God. You're the Word in flesh. You're God in the flesh. I know you and I know why you're here. He knew the plan of God. He understood that God had a plan and he knew why Christ was there. Let me say, it's not enough simply to acknowledge that Jesus lived and that He's the Son of God. Lots of people believe that in, 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 a, very, uh, in a very surface and, and a very uh, aesthetic way. It's not enough just to believe He's able to save you. Of course He is. He's God in the flesh. And it's not enough. I want you to listen very carefully. It's not enough just to believe that the gospel is the way to be saved, to have an intellectual understanding of it. You have to come to Jesus. You have to come to Jesus. Jesus. You have to lean upon Him to save you from your sins. You have to call upon Him to forgive you. Not enough just to believe all these facts. You can take all those facts. You can have doctrine as straight as a gun barrel and just as hollow. You can have everything lined out and you know exactly what you ought to believe. But if you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you, my friend, are lost and in need of Christ's salvation. We see the doctrine of Satan, but I want you to notice the deception of Satan. Now, let me ask you this. How could a man that knows so much, that's under the teaching of the Word of God, that's heard of God's ability to say, how could he sit there and not put his faith in the Lord? Well, there's three things that are noted in this passage. Three things. And I want you to notice them with me, that this devil says, that tells us something about why this man had not looked to the Lord. I want you to notice, first off, that the devil claimed that Christ was dictatorial. Now, I know that's a big $5 word. But, you know, can I put it a little bit different? He said, Christ, that Jesus fella, he's a dictator. And you give your life to him, and you'll be miserable. You know what he says? He says, what have we to do with thee? Let us alone. Let us alone. You know why lots of people die and go to hell? (laughs) Boy, you knew it was going to be a nice sermon today. I know you did. Sometimes I'll say things and think, boy, that sounded kind of ugly. Maybe I need to rephrase that. Then I just go on and preach anyway. Do you know why lots of people will not come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because they believe this lie that if they do, their life is just going to turn into a bunch of rules. You know what you've got right now if you're lost? You've got a bunch of rules. Your flesh rules you. Your appetites rule you. Your sin rules you. You're in bondage to those things. You know what the Bible says about a lost individual? That their attempts at righteousness are but filthy rags. If you're lost without Christ today, you only have one way to live, and that's out of the will of God. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the truth, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And if the Son hath made you free... You say, I thought it said the truth. Well, the Bible says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And if the Son hath made you free... You know what the Bible says? You're free indeed. See, you think you've got all this liberty to do wrong. The only difference is the only desire you've got is the desire to do wrong. You don't see that you're in bondage. You can't see that you're only living one way, but there's a better way. There's a brighter way. There's a happier way. There's a joyful way. There's a more righteous way. The only way you're doing is the way that you know to do. The only way a lost man can live is like a lost man. Sometimes we get awful upset at all sinners in this world. We'll say, oh, this world's just so wicked. It's just getting so bad all the time. No it's not friend lost folks are doing what lost folks have done ever since adam fell in the garden they're no more wicked today than they were then they're still just as lost god's still just as compassionate christ is still just as powerful the spirit of god is still just as able and they can still be saved today they can still be saved today see the truth is lost people they think they've got all this liberty they don't have liberty all they know to do is that which is wrong. But if the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed. You can make the choice to look unto Christ. And then after you're saved, you can make the choice to do what? To live for Him. To live for Him. You have a choice. God doesn't make anyone live for Him. It's a choice. It's a free will choice. I can walk out these doors and do anything I please. God may chastise me for it, but I'll be able to walk out those doors and do anything that I please. I'm here today because God saved me and He loves me. And He's given me something to praise Him for and to shout about and to worship about. And He's given me a life to live. And He's given me a work to do. I, I, I'm not listening to me. I'm not here just because I have to be. I'm here because He's here and wherever He's at is where I want to be. We see that He said Christ is a dictator. But then notice, secondly, He said Christ is distant. He says, what have we to do with Thee? What have we to do with thee? There's no relationship between me as a devil and you as the Son of God. What have we to do with thee? You know, part of the reason folks don't come to the Lord is they're, they're afraid that the Lord's going to look down on them, hit them on the head with a big hammer, smite them, look at them with a frown. Can I tell you something? Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. You're, if you're lost today, you're in the worst shape that you can possibly be in. You're in the worst shape you can possibly be. If you're lost today, I mean, uh, whether you're doing good, whether you're doing bad, whether you're trying to live right, whether you're not, you're headed to the same devil's hell. If you're lost today, God knows who you are and where you're at. God loves you. Listen to me. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what He's getting into when He saved me, and He knows what He's getting into when He saved you. There's this notion that if I, if I try to come to the Lord, what's He going to say about me? You know what He's going to say about you? He's going to say, you're lost, aren't you? You say, yeah, I'm lost. He's going to say, but you want to be saved, don't you? I hope you say, yeah, I want to be saved. He's going to say, well, my son paid your sin debt. And if you'll lean upon Him, then I'll forgive you of your sins. And you can be born again. You are distant from God right now if you're lost. You may be close here in the church, but you're distant from God spiritually. But listen to me. You know what the Bible says? Ye who sometimes were far off are now nigh in Christ Jesus. Through the blood of the cross of Calvary, you can have peace made with God, be reconciled unto your Creator. You can have a relationship with the Lord. So he tries to say, well, Christ is distant. Then notice a a final thing. Not final, don't get excited. But (laughs) he tries to claim that Christ is dangerous. He says, art thou come to destroy us? He says, you're come to do away with us and to destroy us. In other words, you're going to wreck the work that I'm doing in this man's life. You know what the devil tries to tell the lost man? You get religion, it's going to wreck all the fun you have and the life you live. You get religion... You get saved, and you tell those people down in the church house that you've been born again, and you get right, your spouse is going to leave you. Your kids are going to hate you. Your family's going to turn their back on you. It's going to wreck your life. Let me tell you something, God's not in the wrecking business. He's not in the wrecking business. He's come to bind up, and he's come to soothe. He's come to make anew. He's come to change. He's come to make your life what it needs to be, not what it shouldn't be. He's able this morning. The devil will tell you, you get saved, it's going to ruin your life. You're not even living till you get saved. You may be breathing, but you're not living till you get saved. I think sometimes about those in the condition that God saved them in. And I, I mean, I was in just as rotten condition. But I think about those that were living a life of sin or of debauchery. And isn't it so silly? Isn't it so silly the lies that the devil tells you? I mean, he'll come along and say, if you get saved, it's going to wreck your life. Say that to a drunk or to a drug addict or or, or to a prostitute. If you get saved, it's really going to affect the way you live. Well, listen, friend, it ought to. It ought to pull you out of the miry clay. It ought to pull you out of the pit. It ought to take the bottle out of your hand and the needle out of your arm. It ought to take the wickedness out of your life. It's able to. What I'm saying is this. If you're lost without Christ, your destination is settled at this moment. You're headed to a devil's hell. There ain't nowhere to go but up from here. And He's able to pull you out of the pit. So we see the deception of Satan. But then I want you to notice the deliverance of the Savior. You see, no matter what the devil did, once this man had a desire and a will to come to the Lord, and I believe that's the deciding factor. You see, there were lots of people at this day that were possessed of devils, and lots of them that didn't get help. Those that got help, why? Because somewhere in a moment of lucidness, they made a conscious choice, and they wanted help. And we see in this passage that Christ did three things for this man. I want you to notice, first off, he silenced the Spirit. You know what he said? Hold your peace. He wasn't speaking to the man. He was speaking to the Spirit. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what it was like when the Spirit of God came in and pushed all the fog away and clicked the light on? and showed you that all that nonsense that you'd been believing and that bill of sale that the devil had sold you and all those things that the world had told you, that was all wrong about Jesus Christ. He wasn't mad at you. He didn't hate you. He didn't want to wreck you. He didn't want to ruin your life. He loves you. He cares about you. He died for you. And He's here to save you this morning. Don't you remember what it was like when God silenced all those other voices? And all of a sudden you heard the still small voice pierce through the darkness of your unbelief. God says, "I'm here and I love you and I care about you and I want to save you." We see that he silenced the spirit. The second we see that he summoned the spirit said, "Come out of him. Come out of him." Can I can I tell you something this morning? You can't change your life Turn over a new leaf if you want. You'll be turning that leaf back over about this time next year. You can't change your life. You can't do what needs to be done. It's not within you. You don't have the capacity. Even if you had the capacity, you might have the desire sitting in this church house today, but 15 minutes out the door, when the devil meets you on the street corner and says, boy, doesn't sin look good, then the spirit will indeed be willing, but the flesh will be weak. You can't do it. You're not able to do it. Say, what do I do, preacher? God's got to do it for you. You say, how do I get God to do that? If you'll call upon Him and ask Him to save you. Listen carefully. At that point, you're His property. And it's His responsibility. I'm not saying there's no place for resolve. I'm not saying there's no place for determination. I'm not saying that there's no merit to willpower. I'm saying this, that determination, resolve, and willpower apart from the work of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer is going to equal and amount to nothing. You know what he said? Christ said this in John chapter 15, without me ye can do nothing. That's still not changed. Despite all the methods we've got, despite all the technology we've got, despite all the medicine that we've got, that's still not changed. Without Him, you can do nothing. We see that Christ summoned the Spirit. But then I want you to notice this, and I'm done, and I mean that this time. We see that Christ secured the sinner. He secured him. When He cast the devil out of him, you know what happened? The Bible says in the book of Mark chapter 1 in this parallel account that the Spirit tore him. It confused me a little bit, but sure enough, you know what I found? I always find that my understanding is limited, but God's Word is always accurate. And I found out that that word torn in there doesn't necessarily always have the idea of of, of being torn like you'd tear a piece of paper, but it has the idea of convulsing. And so, in other words, listen now. It wasn't a pretty picture when this man had this Spirit cast out of him. It, it, It was a little awkward. It it, it was a little. Can can I say this? It was a little uncomfortable. Maybe I've seen sinners get saved like that, and they come up and they got that cry face. You've seen it before. Uh, You know, God's been moving and working. Listen to me. It's not about the physical uh, manifestations of uh, of a person's conviction, but I have seen people before. Man, they're physically shaken. I mean, it it became real to them. God was real and true, and their sin was real and true, and God's love and Christ's salvation was real and true, and it shook them. The Bible says that it tore him, meaning it convulsed him. And then the Bible says that he cast him in the midst and went out him. And the Bible says he did him no hurt. Did him no hurt. Boy, isn't that something? I mean, friend, not two seconds inside of salvation. God's already watching over him, isn't he? God's already watching over him. Lots of times in the Bible, spirits did try to hurt people. In fact, you find uh, that that's one of the marks of demon possession. I know you're going to think I'm a kook, and I know that we've got pills to take care of every problem that a man has today, right? I understand that, right? But can I tell you this? Devil possession is still a real thing. And no pill can cure it. And no counseling can solve it. It's still a real thing. And one of the marks of it is self-mutilation. Self-mutilation. The, the prophets of Baal cut themselves. Self-mutilation is a common symptom. It's not to say everybody that does that is devil-possessed. But it is to say this, devil-possessed people do that. I'm not trying to say anything more than what I just said. Don't read into it. But there's no question about it. And it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon when a spirit left a man for it to try in the throes of its banishment, to try to hurt that man and to harm that man and to take his life. But you know what I find? I find this. After this man put his faith in the Lord, despite the devil's best efforts, that man didn't belong to that devil anymore. He belonged to the Lord. And that devil couldn't do anything to him that the Lord wouldn't allow. Don't we see that in life of Job? Satan had to ask permission to lay his hand against Job. Let me tell you something. When you get born again, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only room that Satan can get in your life is the room you give him. You belong to Christ at that point. Oh, the Lord's able this morning. I don't know why he gives the messages he gives. If I I was a betting man, I'm not for a lot of reasons, but I'm not. But if I was a betting man, you'd bet in a church our size... Uh, that probably on a Sunday morning it's mostly going to be saved, folks. I wouldn't have planned this message if God hadn't given it to me. It's Memorial Day weekend. I mean, I'm surprised that everybody's here. <laughs> Amen? I figured you'd be up at the lake being carnal or something, you know? But here you are in the house of God, and God's brought you here today. You're not here on accident. You're here because the Lord keeps appointments. And I wonder if God may have spoken to your heart this morning. If so, can I tell you something? You don't have to leave here in the condition you came. God can save you. God can change you.